Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everybody, and welcome to... Uh, Kremlin file slash Euro file because we are uh, going to be uh, keeping you company. Okay, until Kremlin file uh, starts up again, and that's in mid September. And today we're going to be talking about something that we, Scott and I, have wanted to talk about for a very long time because it's something that is has been sort of forgotten, um, but. I believe it is fundamental to understanding the past few years, okay, that we've been living through. And that is all of, let's say, the Brexit campaign from 2016, 2015, 2016, and then the spillover into, okay, the Trump campaign, 2016, that whole period. Because we're talking about a period that was, let's say, um, that. Uh, was uh, marked, I don't know what the word, uh, help me, Scott, the word that I'm thinking of that uh, was underscored by three pivotal events in Europe, okay, and the United States. It was Brexit. Then there was a little-known Italian referendum, okay, um, that took place. That was in December. Then we had Trump, obviously the big shocker, right? Because it was Brexit, Trump, and then this little unknown referendum in Italy that caused the government to fall. Okay. So these three are all interconnected. And this is what we wanted to talk about today with the focus being on Brexit, because we know a lot of you don't know a lot about it. Okay. I mean, we weren't really paying attention, okay, to what was going on across the pond, so to speak. Okay. So today, um, instead of, you know, calling up any guests, because the expert we have sitting right here, Okay, Scott Lucas, right? Scott, I got to tell you something. You know how I discovered you? Do you have uh, any no. idea? No, <laughs> no this it, is a surprise. It's, it's a bit of a frightening question, but yeah. <laughs> okay, no, I wasn't trolling you or, you know, uh, behind some sort of murky corner saying, well, hang on, was that guy? Um, I discovered you because uh, what to the, the, let's say, the run up. Uh, of Brexit and also of the U.S. 2000, well, the Trump's 2016 campaign, you were doing a lot of, you know, radio. And I'm a huge radio fan. And I used to listen to your commentary and your analysis. And I said, who is this guy? Because I need to talk to him. I was doing research, okay, at the time. And I said, I really need to talk to him. And that's, you know, how I started writing to you and reaching out and the whole business. Because I said, I mean, his analysis is just really bang, bang on, you know. I was learning so much, okay, from what you were talking about. And uh, and I really appreciated that. So that's how I actually discovered you, through radio, okay. And uh, just so that everybody knows, Scott is is super famous. I mean, you know, we uh, we sit and talk all the time. But uh he's he is on uh international tv radio all the time giving his analysis so we're really lucky that today we can talk to you okay scott all about this um i will start off just with one little thing scott 
uh, on the morning, I guess it would be, what is that, July 24th or July 23rd? When was the, the actual vote? June 24th. Or the, June, the vote was on June 23rd, it. 2016. Yes. And so the next morning, June 24th, yes. you woke up and what did you I woke you? up. I waltz into my kitchen. Okay. Beautiful, warm morning. And as I do every morning, I'm loading up my mocha. And I go off and I turn on my TV to see, oh, let's see, because I had gone to bed. I was watching everything. I'd gone to bed saying, oh, they'll be OK. You know, we'll we'll still have the UK in Europe. All right. And then I turn on my uh, TV and it's ah! OK, what is going on? I was shocked. I was literally shocked. And I started saying, and I had already started doing a lot of in-depth research also on Trump and his campaign. I was following it extremely closely as well as Brexit. And I, I was completely shocked. What was your, uh, what was your, let's say reaction to what the events of uh, June 23rd going into the morning of June 24th? I was devastated. I mean, I, I had a similar experience to you because curiously, on the eve of Brexit, the bookies had Remain as a heavy, heavy favorite. I'd have to go back and look, but we're talking at least five mm-hmm. to one, six to one, seven to one on. Wow. Uh, whether someone was messing around with the betting markets or whether, you know, everybody mm-hmm. just misread it, mm-hmm. you know, you you go to bed and you think, all right, well, the, the, the vote might be quite close. And indeed, a note we'll get into is, is that Boris Johnson, the key here to what happened with Boris Johnson, who later became prime minister, is he thought that it would be a narrow victory for Remain. Wow. You know, and then yeah, I, I woke up the next morning and there it is, 52-48 in favor of leave. And you know that even though it's that small majority, this is a historic event and yeah. not in a very good way. Yeah. And I, I guess to preface it, you know, I'd lived here since uh, I first came here in 1981. You know, I'm not this 18-year-old naive American, but sort of fell in love with the idea from, of being from let's tell from folks Alabama. where you're from Alabama. from Alabama. Yeah. From Alabama. And I, and, and I came across from university in Tennessee that didn't really like the atmosphere there came over to, uh, to the UK. And I just love the atmosphere, not only of being in the UK, but being so close to Europe. You know, I grew up in backwater America, you know, really cut off from the idea of the international. So here you are in the middle of it, you know, so I pitch up in the UK, what, seven, eight years after they've joined the EU. Um, subsequently, I come to Birmingham, which is a city which is just completely redone in the 90s because Birmingham's not a very attractive place for a mm-hmm. long time. It's redone with the help of a lot of European money behind it. Wow. So I'm this, you know, and I'm this huge Europhile. I'm teaching European students. I'm benefiting from Euro- European academic arrangements, European scientific research arrangements, all of yeah. this. But then the kicker for me, if, if you want the personal reaction, yeah. Is that um, a week before the vote, there's um, a British MP, a yeah. really, really good MP named Joe Cox, who I had the pleasure of working with. I worked with her because she was very big in helping uh, and highlighting the issues of refugees from Syria. Yeah. And indeed, the, dis- and indeed no. the destruction that was occurring, killing civilians inside yeah. the country. Yeah. And uh, J- Joe Cox is... is you know, it's doing your business. She's working for a constituency and this, you know, this head case, this this guy who's been whipped up by all the anti-immigration mm. uh, disinformation and propaganda around Brexit. He sees her as supporting these people who are taking over the UK and he kills her. 
Yeah. You know, just like that. And, you know, that that hit me like a hammer blow because there's a personal connection there. And then also just highlighted just how destructive this interaction between Brexit and its manipulation of the issues around immigration, around UK relations with Europe was because Brexit is first and foremost, it's not economically logical. Mm-hmm. It's not politically logical. It's not logical from a military and security standpoint. It's emotive. And it was playing on all those emotions, which were, we are going to blame everyone else for the troubles we have in the UK. We're going to blame the UK. or sorry, we're mm-hmm. going to blame the EU. We're going to mm-hmm. blame foreigners. We're going to blame immigrants in particular. We're going to blame, you know, the globalist elites. Yeah, they are. You know, yes. And, you know, and, and and the fact is, is that people would exploit that. And we can talk about some of the people who did exploit that yeah. dangerous rhetoric yeah. to gain power. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it, I'll just put it out here, you know, whether or not it makes final cut of our interviews. It, um, I, again, maybe a, a few days before the um, the referendum, I had recorded a video. It's still up mm. on YouTube mm-hmm. just after Joe was killed which was why I'm, you know, why I'm, you know, voting to remain. And I said, it's an issue of decency. It's an issue of decency, not just the economics, the politics, but of being a good, tolerant country. And then I spoke at a forum at the University of Birmingham, where I worked for going on more than 30 years. And I told that forum, professional forum, I said, look, if this vote is to leave the EU, I'll I'll leave as well. You know, you know, know, we, we, and, for reasons I won't go into at this point, it's not that easy to leave and to get out of here. No, no. Um, but, the, you know, I've worked with, you know, I've worked with, you know, University College Dublin for years in Ireland. And, and that right now is like, you know, the idea, of, in fact, it's on the cards, probably moving across to Ireland simply to be back inside the EU. Yeah. I don't see the I don't see the UK coming back in in the near future. No, not in the near future. No, it's it's not even being discussed. It's not even being discussed. Let's go back though a little bit so that we can explain. Okay, to folks, uh, first of all, I mean Brexit. This whole idea of leaving the EU was not something that let's say had been hatched in 2015 or 2014. It goes no a lot. No, uh, it goes back. Probably from the moment <laughs> that the that the UK had joined the EU, right? Which let's talk about, let's say the um, the run up or 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 who was who was pushing this idea of leaving the UK the uh, the EU? Yeah. And then I'd like to get into the campaign itself, the two groups that were running. Okay, the two main groups because there are quite a few. Uh, groups. One thing that everybody needs to keep in mind is that at this time, and this is something that I want to talk to you about as well, at this time, Russia had been uh, financing quite a few separatist movements all over the, you know, all over uh, wherever they could. We have evidence of California, California, we have evidence uh, in um, in Catalonia, for example, August and tons of research on both of these issues. We've just had right now, uh, and Scott, I'm sure you, know, you were following this as much as I was, probably more, 
um, about the the separatist movement, or let's say the uh, the Russian funded American movement, okay, that was uh, inside. Uh, where they did a raid and they took documents. No, just, I think it was maybe about two weeks ago. Okay, this happened. Um, so we know that this was, there There was there were also international players, okay, there, you know, to help out. I'd like to know the extent of that. So let's go back. First, you know, who were the groups? The campaign, and then, okay, who else came into the picture? Wow. Uh, well, yeah, the Russians. Have you got four the Russians, days? <laughs> the Russians will have a walk-on part. But let me, before I get into the Russians, before I get into the other yeah. organizations, let me go back to, I think, for me, which is a fundamental. Again, as someone who's lived in the UK now for uh, almost 40 years, this doesn't just go back to when the UK joined the EU. It doesn't go back just to 1945. It goes back centuries. Um, I'm a big believer that to explain a lot of what has happened here, you have to go to an English culture, not British, by the way, English. And the fact is, is one of the first things I learned when I came here first in 81 and then for good in 84 was the way that this culture plays upon tension with Europe. I mean, you know, the idea mm. that, that the English are always at it with the French and the whole idea mm. of Henry V, you know, that whole speech, you know, we feel yeah. brave, we band of brothers is directed against the French. Uh, clearly, the you know, the English culture, which is directed against the Germans, you know, uh, mm -hmm. we beat them in World War One. we beat them in World War Two. we beat them in 66 in the World Cup, arguably the most important you know, <laughs> victory, you know, and, 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 and those, are th those are things you get on a day to day mm -hmm. basis that comes in, even yeah. after the UK joining the EU, it comes in. So remember that you know, the initial, as it were, Brexit or the initial, as it were, refusal to be part of Europe comes in the 1950s. And, and that is with the refusal to join mm -hmm. the negotiations or to, to to complete the negotiations for the European Economic Community mm -hmm. in 57, mm -hmm. 58. Yeah, the because, coal, the coal and steel. You know, there was a coal and steel. Yeah. So, so what happens? Yeah, you know, what happens out of France and Germany is France and Germany, who have been scrapping for centuries themselves, mm -hmm. decide: look, we've got to get along to make this better for both of us, and to make it, this has to be European. It can't just be individual countries. And so, you have from coal and steel community comes this economic project, which has political overtones, and then other countries. Are part of it as well. You know, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Italy, the original yeah. six, and mm -hmm. others join. Mm -hmm. The the English concept, British, if you mm -hmm. will, was different. And that is the nice part of it, if you want the nice part of it, was what came through through Churchill, which is look, we have the three rings concept. We'll work with the Europeans, but we're also, we have the empire, or yes. we'll be the Commonwealth. Yeah. And we have the we have the relationship with the US. We're the only country that has those three rings. We're going to use that to maximum effect. The negative side of it, quite frankly, is, is this longing for empire and yeah. the idea of we're better than the Europeans because we're still a great power. Mm. Now, Britain, Britain's on the decline mm -hmm. in the 40s and in the 50s, and mm -hmm. it does not recover in some ways from that decline. But at the same time that it's declining, it passes on joining Europe. And when Britain comes into Europe in the early 70s, finally comes in formally in 73, it's because all of a sudden the business elite, the political elite realize we're economically damaged. We have absolutely shot ourselves in the foot, if not the head, 
mm-hmm. by not going in with Europe. This, you know, your Britain joins the EEC in 73, three years mm-hmm. later, they're, ha- they're having to get international monetary fund money. Yeah. yeah. Bailout money. Yeah. That's how bad it had gotten here. And, you know, Britain does come in. The irony is, is that someone like Thatcher, with whom I disagree on so many issues, she mastered that trick of like, you know, talking tough to the Europeans, you know, no, no, no. And mm-hmm. then backing a- and then backing away from it mm-hmm. it came down to the practical negotiations. And so we had that brief period, ironically, during Thatcher in the 80s and then going into the 90s. Mm-hmm. when it's like, OK, we're going to be developing our economic future. And then lo and behold, in the 90s, the Tory party is at each other's throat again. Okay. Uh, the the refusal to join the euro and the single market mm-hmm. in 92. Then the, the fight against the Maastricht Treaty in terms mm-hmm. of political cooperation which led to a conservative prime minister, John Major, calling his own MPs bastards. Wow. That's how bad it got. So this runs all the way through the 90s. And the fact, therefore, is, is that when Cameron, David Cameron, prime minister in uh, uh, 2015, makes this disastrous, disastrous move, which is, oh, 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 I'll call a referendum on this, miscalculating that he'll win the referendum. You know, the seeds hmm. of this were laid decades earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why didn't he, I mean, he, this referendum, because we were talking about a fundamental change in foreign policy and also economic policy. And it's a conception, okay, of a relationship that you have with a community that has 350 million people, okay, and a market at 350 million people. Why was this kind of decision, why did Cameron leave this decision to, let's say, with all the intricacies, okay, of of trying to wrap your head around all of the issues, all of the economic issues, uh, social, scientific, I mean, there's, it it touches, right, every single uh, aspect of life, all right, for a citizen. Why would he, why did he promise that he would act on a referendum and not just say, well, it's it's a consulting. No, we're, we're going to be consulting the populace. Let's see what they think. And then we can battle it out in Parliament. I mean, what? why didn't he do that? Because he miscalculated. He miscalculated, which is, first off, do you remember the issue that triggered him, that triggered the referendum? Do you remember the specific issue that triggered uh, he was in he was in Brussels trying to get something, if I can't re- if I remember correctly. What was it? The British were trying to restrict oh, that's welfare right. payments yeah, for to immigrants. recently arrived yeah. immigrants. European Union immigrants. Yes. Healthcare, housing, now I remember. education. Yeah. Um, because what was happening is, remember, we're in the middle of the we're in the middle of the aftermath of the Great Recession. Uh, Britain has a lot of management problems, a lot of financial problems, providing basic services to its own people. And of course, when you take in more people, what what do you do? Do you blame yourself for not handling this properly or do you blame right. the immigrants? Sure. So, and so what Cameron was doing is he was blaming the immigrants. Mm-hmm. But then he's saying, all right, we'll negotiate this with the Europeans. We'll get some type of, as it were, waiver or limitation yeah. on how much you pay out. Yeah. But then he thought, I really want to get rid of this problem once and for all. I want to get rid of it once and for all. He's got, you know, the Tory bastards, as it were, who keep pushing to come out of the EU completely. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that. He's got that upstart narcissist, Nigel Farage, 
who's going around and giving using exploiting 21st century media to whip up all the fire breathers on the far, you know on the hard right and so cameron thinks look the city of london the business interest mm-hmm. they're not going to want to leave the eu cuz it's economic disaster so at the end of the day the sensible folks are going to be able to work with me we're going to win the referendum and we'll put this problem behind right. us and he he completely got it wrong yeah. but you're absolutely right what there have been past efforts where you've seen in countries on narrower issues, sure, not on broad issues. Ireland was a case. I think the French were a case mm-hmm. where they've had consultation votes yeah. that have not gone the way of further integration with the EU. And what they've done is they've reworked it. They've gone back and tweaked it. And then they've gone back to get acceptance of the move that they make, uh, you know, in Britain, in England, and you'll keep hearing this phrase again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. It's part again of the English culture, the people's will. Yes. In fact, I wanted to get into a bit of the campaign because the campaign was re- revealed quite a bit of in that moment, but it's still it's still pertinent up to today because we're going through the Italian campaign here. The same issues are pro- are popping up once again because we're talking you know, about the weaponization of culture wars and all of that kind of thing. So let's talk about the two campaigns. Okay, um, let's say the there was probably the old guard, okay, MPs that wanted. Who were those people? Let's just give a few names so that people, so folks want to go and, and read up on this, right? They can they can understand who we're talking about. Who well, are the old guard? I think the best way to do it, because in a mm-hmm. sense, you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at political factions, political groups okay. that are in here. Now, there are certain political groups who are the smaller groups, like the Greens, uh, the Liberal Democrats, who had been in the coalition with the Conservatives since 2010, but completely screwed up being in the coalition. So they're on the decline. But the key thing here is the Lib Dems and the Greens are both firmly remain. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. The two major parties are split. Now, we talked a bit about the Tories and the background of that. So you've got David Cameron, um, mm-hmm. who uh, is still wants to remain in the EU, yeah. trying to manipulate and get support for it. You've got people like William Hague, the former foreign secretary, who's behind him, right? But then you've got these politicians who think they can make political capital off of this. Right. They right. aren't necessarily really committed to leaving the EU, but they see an opportunity to knock off Cameron mm. and to get uh. power for themselves. There's a guy named Michael Gove, who's still yeah. around. Yeah. We'll never will never be prime minister for reasons we get into. Yeah. But the idea, you know, the idea that he might at least be the kingmaker. And so mm. Gove decides Gove decides to pitch in on leave. He decides right. he's gonna he's gonna be part of you know the next government, right? Mm-hmm. At a higher level. Uh then you've got Johnson. Now, Boris Johnson, you know, mayor of London, complete showboat politician, part of this whole 21st era of spectacle and mass media. Uh, Johnson's like this. I can be prime minister through this. And this is the way he's going to do it. He had actually, you know, Johnson actually had supported remaining part of the EU. Yeah. In previous years. And then he flipped. Right at the last minute. Before right, the last minute. Yeah, he yeah. talks to Gove. I think Gove called him. I mean, there are different stories that uh, that I've read, but yeah, it was right at the last minute he decides to to weigh in on leave. Yeah, and what these politicians they do is that not only can they support leave for their personal ambitions, they can co-opt the hard right. They can co-opt Farage's UK Independence Party 
right? Because in effect, you know, yeah, we can control UKIP. Well, in doing that, in a sense, they sell their souls, right? So right. you get Farage, Cameron, sorry, Farage, Gove, and Johnson. Then you get, again, more of the establishment factions, old mm-hmm. conservatives, old financial economic interest. And then, and here's a key thing that a lot of people don't focus on, Howard, is labor split as well. Yes. Yes. almost didn't get into the EU in the 70s was not because of the conservatives. It was because of what was called, which it was the left wing of the Labor Party. People like Tony Benford said it will do down workers. It will do down our health and safety. uh, It will just drag us down to the level of Europeans. Kind of a really weird, again, English superiority complex around those issues like welfare and, and social rights, as opposed to, you know, Power yeah. and yeah, yeah. All right. Just to identify this, just to wrap this yeah. up, identifying yeah, yeah. 2016 is that while you get, you know, the again, the old guard, the the you know, the Blairites, the Tony Blair guys, the Gordon Brown guys, the Millibands, Ed and David, and so on, you get this faction around Jeremy Corbyn, mm-hmm. right? Beer of the left who's been there. And like now they see the prospect that Corbyn could actually come in, Mm. they think, take over the Labor Party and win. Mm. And what that meant is, is that that sort of limited the Remain campaign because we never quite knew where Labor stood Mm. as an end as a block to bring this home. Right. Corbyn notoriously continued to sit on the fence over uh over our position with Europe for years. Yeah, for years. Yeah, no, I didn't see Corbyn as a Remain, uh, as a Remain well, he's candidate. Leg- he's Lexit. He's Lexit. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's he's exit. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Now, there were two, uh, for people who hadn't followed, okay, the actual campaign, there was one group, okay, that was headed by the money, let's say, from Aaron Banks and Farage, Okay, that was one group. And then there was another group um, which had Dominic Cummings with Johnson and Gove, correct? Yeah, what what you get is you get an alliance of money and this 21st century media technology that gets allied here. And now, not all the money comes from Russia. Russia plays a part, but only a part in this. Mm -hmm. A lot of money, you know, there are a lot of businesses who think there's too much EU regulation, there's, there, you know, I can do better outside of Europe. You can talk about entrepreneurs like James Dyson, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who's behind JCB, the big bulldozer guys that Johnson always mm-hmm. likes to pose with. These guys, oh, Tim Weatherspoon, the owner of the pub yeah. chains, yeah. you know, they're putting a lot into the campaign as well. So domestically, okay. you got, you know, you got some business interests, not the city interest, but some interests that want to come out. But what really gives leave its impact is it is allied up to this bizarre wizardry of Dominic Cummings, which is to whip up the spectacle, right? You know, and it's more, it's actually sort of an abstract notion, but the abstract notion of big data, right? That's right. But what links this actually back to what is happening in the States in 2016 is, it's the idea of using outfits like Cambridge Analytica. That's right. To do deep data mining on platforms like Facebook to get information, which you really shouldn't have. That's I right. Mean, it is so close to being illegal. I, oh, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And then mm-hmm. what you do is you data mine this, and then you have the targeted yeah. ads, which are not just the traditional billboards, not no. just the traditional TV and radio spots, but you're no. going all the way out there on social media. Yeah. And I can remember the notorious mm-hmm. alliance of the toxic politics of Farage, mm-hmm. uh, the money and the technology in a, in a single moment, which is that, and again, I grant you can cut this, right? If you got to go. <laughs> it, it, there's this moment that harks back to the 1970s. One of the most famous billboards in the 1970s mm-hmm. is of just a line, a queue of people yeah. who you know, and then and then it's conservative party says Britain isn't working, right? Yeah. They reproduce the image that long winding queue of people, except now the people are men. A lot of them are dark skinned, and they're clearly foreigners. That's right. And Nigel Farage stands in front of this billboard, and then this becomes part of the social media campaign, which is if you don't vote for Brexit, Britain's going to be flooded. Yeah, these immigrants. Britain, That's right. Britain. Turkey, right. Turkey, Turkey was just about to join, just about to join. Okay, which well, is which is all BS. It but is that BS. was talk actually talking yeah. about Turkish friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I the, <clears throat> sorry. Let me just pick up on that, which you're mm-hmm. probably right. Turkey for years had been stalled out on the EU membership application, but most people in the in in the England. Mm-hmm. Okay, they don't know about that background. They yeah. just know that Turkey, and they and they don't necessarily think of Turkey as Europe. They think it's just kind of strange. Maybe maybe it's Middle Eastern. Maybe it's Muslim. I'm not sure exactly. Who, who what are it these is. people? Yeah, who are these people? Yeah, and so you get this alliance of that Turkey's going to join the EU, and then and this is the really damaging part. We are five years into the Syrian civil war. Yes. Whereas other countries, Germany had taken almost a million Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. The number of refugees, Syrian refugees that are allowed in the UK is in the thousands, maybe the low 10,000s at most. Britain has passed legislation to keep Syrian children out of wow. the UK, right? And so you marry up the idea that Turkey is going to join the EU and then all these people, from, whether it's Syria, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Somalia, because they're even darker. Yeah. They're going to be the guys that are coming in. Yeah. Now, the irony of this is, if you think about it, Brexit did absolutely nothing regarding immigration arrangements. No, nothing at all. Outside the EU. That's right. What That's Brexit right. did is it shut down people from within in the, the EU. EU. But a lot of people from within the EU are white. Yeah. And yeah. so... Dust. Yeah, no, it, it, it it's incredible. I uh, I when I was doing my research for all of this, just after uh, Brexit, but it was probably no, about a year after that, uh, someone um, had posted online uh, a depository of all of the memes. Okay, that were sent through Facebook, sent through social media, and most of it. First, you saw the first initial memes were sort of like, oh, we love the NHS or do you love do you support um, animals, you know, animal rights or they tried because I'm, I'm getting back to what you were saying, Scott, about the data mining, which I think is fundamental, because what a lot of people don't know is that this vote was really close. It was close. That's why it reminds me so much also of the Trump vote. Trump was what? 
uh, 30,000 votes. How many How many votes did, did Trump 70, win by? 70,000 votes across. Which is nothing. Three states exactly. make the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And in uh, for the Brexit vote, it's the same thing. There was a very, very minuscule. No, I can't remember what it was, but I know that they had to swing or find, which was more the idea, was to find people who had not voted before that had stopped voting, find out why they had stopped voting, craft these means, craft the message to get them to come out and vote for leave. So I saw all of it and I can tell you, it was absolutely incredible. Like the, I'm mentioning the Turkey thing because they actually showed, you know, the UK and then this big, huge arrow with 27.8 million Tur Turks are coming. OK, and they bombasted. And this was towards the end because they didn't do this right in the beginning. It was sort of a very gradual. Um, the meme campaign itself for the messaging was very gradual. It was to stoke up those what you were talking about, those feelings of Englishness, superiority, exceptionalism, and then turn it sort of into anti-immigration, but really, really virulent okay racist i would say um and they just hammered okay onto those uh those kind of things uh, how close was the vote scott 52 percent to 48 percent there's four percent in it four percent right? you know and we're a country of you know we're a country i think of close to 70 million people i can't remember the exact voter turnout on the day it was pretty high but yeah. you know you, you know you're talking about probably several hundred thousand votes can make the difference here right now the key, and, and here's the kicker, though, I'm going to give you a sting in the tail of all, all this. Mm -hmm. When you talk about those campaigns, they win the battle, but they're going to lose a war. And let me explain why. First of all, you'll notice that your description, that portrayal of the arrow coming mm -hmm. from Europe into mm -hmm. the UK, in this mm -hmm. case, from Turkey. with all Turkey. Mm -hmm. That is that hits at a visceral yeah. visual body in this country will have, which is the arrow's of World War II, mm -hmm. of the Germans coming into the UK, right? And so they're playing that World War II yeah. theme over again. Now, in England, it's really, really effective to do that. And to an extent, it's effective in Wales. Northern Ireland's a special case we can discuss if you want to. But let me Why in Wales? Hold on. Why in Wales? Because Wales is one of the, the countries that received the most EU funding. Be because... You get at a heart of a question here, and let me sidetrack for just a minute, which is it is much easier to run a campaign like this based mm -hmm. on emotion yeah. by drawing upon the negative. You know, for people who have lived with the EU for 40 years, right, it's like, well, you know, we, we've we already got this. You know, all right. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, I have a house okay, in Spain. Right? Yeah, I got a house in Spain. Yeah, you know, you got out. You know, it's like, and, and so you go to people and say, well, look, you know, we, we, you know, economically we've we've done better off, and you've got these connections in academia and so on. Everybody goes, well, yeah, okay, fine, but that doesn't necessarily mobilize. The positive doesn't necessarily mobilize people. No, the negative does. And so in Wales, the positive, which is where a lot of European Union money has hit Wales, which is an area which does not yeah. do as well as England. Okay. A lot of European money goes into Welsh agriculture, in particular. Uh, which has really suffered as, a, as an outcome because of Brexit, right? But you get the emotive thing, which is, you know, in Wales, which doesn't have a very high density of population, mm -hmm. uh, has a couple of major cities like Cardiff and like Swansea. But the idea is you're going to be overrun. 
You're going to yes. be able to run. Oh, and by the way, and and then this flip side, the, the deception of Brexit, which is when you're free of European regulations, you will prosper. Yeah. Which is absolute. Yeah, you're liberated. Yeah. Yes. But remember, there's one political group I didn't talk about. One area I didn't talk about earlier. We talked about mm-hmm. labor. We talked about Greens, Lib Dems, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the Scottish Nationalist Party. Yes. The one area that was significantly significantly favor of Remain. But I think the vote was more than 60% in favor mm-hmm. of Remain. It was Scotland. Now, the Scottish Nationalist Party, within the past decade, and it only has really been within the past decade, is by far the largest party in Scotland. It has most yeah. of the seats up there. Yeah. In 2014, Scotland had voted narrowly. Yes. In the That's another thing. Yeah. Brexit does is it reinforces the Scottish Nationalist Party because that message you just talked about on the Mm -hmm. NHS, housing, education, it rebounds differently in Scotland. In England, it's like, oh, the foreigners are going to come over and take over. In Scotland, which has the devolved system to provide those services, it poses the question, would you rather have these? Scott, you were talking about Scotland? No. So, but the message rebounds in Scotland. In England, the idea is is if you, you know, we're going to manipulate the idea of the the NHS. We're going to manipulate the idea of housing to talk about, you know, the immigrants are going to overrun you. When you get that message in Scotland, the Scots, who have a history of tension with the English, you know, newsflash, have this decision, which is, all right, would we rather, on our devolved system, would we rather have the future of, of protecting the NHS, education, mm-hmm. other social services? Would we rather, or would we rather go it along with the English? And if the vote oh, was held in Scotland today, in 2022, for Scottish independence, I'm not sure it goes against independence now. Because I think that whole notion of where Scotland's futures lies yeah. has been tilted. And certainly the Scottish Nationalist Party has been reinforced uh, by Brexit becoming this tragic reality. Yeah. I had a long conversation with Alan Smith about this and exactly what you're talking about. Okay, They see their future with the EU. All right, And, uh, and that bridge is extremely important you know, to them. So that, uh, so that, that's that. Um, so we were talking about that kind of thing. What else? Uh, I've lost my well, my, my train well, of thought. Ask me. I get, give me a twist. Give me a twist. Give me a lead in now to the Russians. Um, to the Russians, I want to dig in. Okay, a little more. All right, with let's say the two campaigns we've talked about now, the different messaging. Okay, that the two campaigns were doing. But behind these campaigns, all right, you mentioned it a little bit before, okay, gave us a little bit of a teaser about that. How much of an impact, okay, did the Russians actually have? Because as I said before, we had that they have, were funding a lot of separatist campaigns. Now, a lot of these people were crackpots. Okay. It's not like they were, some of them were not serious at all. We're talking about soft power, maybe just creating 
um, disunity and you no know, uh, and sowing discord within the societies. It's not really you know something that will take you anywhere. But they are funding okay these these groups in Italy. It's the same thing okay um, with certain with certain uh, figures. So how much? Because we know that Aaron Banks were, they, he was having meetings with the Russian uh, ambassador. Uh, this is on record, okay, through the NCA report, okay, that had come out, their findings. Um, what, what, what is it with that? What's the connection there? Well, let's be careful with individuals like Mr. Banks, who can be quite litigious. Yes. <laughs> and let's, yeah, he likes going to court. Okay. He likes going to court. Yeah. Let's, be care- let's be careful with individuals like Mr. Johnson, who later becomes prime minister who has links to Russians. Yeah, that we know. That we know. And let's remind everybody, uh, uh, Jenny, okay, Lebedev, the son is, or the father, is the father's son that became a lord. Oh, uh, you've got the father who is connected with Russian intelligence service. That's right. It's the son of Jenny, who is a newspaper proprietor, uh, the Evening Standard and the Independent among mm-hmm. the times that he owns, mm-hmm. he becomes so well connected with, you know, he's part of the, as it were, the English establishment. Yeah. And also here in Italy, by the way, Scott, because he's got a nice big, huge villa uh, near Perugia where Boris Johnson, as we know, okay, he's came a right as a, that's right. We've got pictures of him in the airport and the whole business. So. Yeah. So let's, let's go general with, with the Russians here, because this is also true of the U S in 2016, because mm-hmm. it's never the idea that the Russians are pulling the strings, right? That's something that people who like to shout Russia gate, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's with respect to Trump or with respect to Brexit or with such as the French elections, you know, they, they try to use that idea that, that we're saying that, that the Russians are, are using everyone's puppets. We're not. What the Russians do is they work in three different areas. Which is, and the first is, is that they have connect, they have connections. They have these connections, such as we talked about with individuals, where they try to say, "Well, you know, what's your point of view? Here's our point of view," and you try to, as it were, encourage a point of view. So I suspect Mr. Johnson, when he met various Russians, the Russians would have talked about how great the UK future would be outside of the European Union, how mm-hmm. wonderful it would be, how it would be a golden age. In other words, you reinforce or you bolster what Johnson himself is beginning to think for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the Russians are facilitators. Now, they're not the only facilitators, but they will provide support for particular individuals and particular groups to get the messages out that they want to get out. Mm-hmm. Which, and, and again, now, how big these groups were, groups were within the UK, how, how, how substantial they were in terms of the amount of money, the amount of propaganda they put out, Again, because we've never gotten a full and frank report, the report mm-hmm. you referred to, the Intelligence Committee report mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago, is very, very careful in what it says. Uh, we don't know the extent of this. But third, the Russians are amplifiers. And this, in a, this was especially important in Brexit, because what the Russians were doing with this idea of, of hybrid warfare, with their information services since 2014, whether it's RP, RT, whether it's Sputnik, whether it's the Duran. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's mm-hmm. Russia Insider, Geopolitical, there's tons of them. They're all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what they're doing is is that they're amplifying, and the message that they're amplifying is not directly go out and vote for Brexit. The message they're putting out is the UK is in disarray. 
mm-hmm. Europe is in disarray. And so the whole idea is, is that the only way to get out of this disarray is for everyone in the UK to go out and vote for Brexit, right? Well, is that not interfering? I mean, that's pretty heavy course, duty, Scott. Of course, it, of course it's interfering, but there is a paradox here. I'll talk to you about it. When, when the Americans, when Barack Obama talked about the UK going to the back of the queue yeah. when it comes to trade deals, mm-hmm. if Brexit went through, which mm-hmm. was just a statement of fact. I could tell you that was exactly what the Americans were going to do. Then everybody on the leave side screams, this is interference. Mm -hmm. When the Russians talk about immigration overwhelming Britain, Mm -hmm. when the Russians talk about the UK is cracking because of its connections with Europe, not a peep comes out from anyone on the leave side about Russian interference. Not a peep. Now, Mm -hmm. that in itself is a way, as it were, of accepting assistance from the Russians, right? Even if you didn't take money, even if you did not meet a Russian face-to-face. Right. There, there's an imbalance here. You know, every country, in a way, wants to wants Brexit to go a certain way. The French want it to go, remain, the Germans do, and so on. But they are not operating the same way the Russians are. But you want to sting in the tail on this, mm-hmm. which people haven't picked up? The Russians may get more than they bargained for. Mm-hmm. Because remember that the Russians at the same time, or almost at the same time, in, two, well, in 2014, where they were putting out amplifying campaigns and facilitating groups for Scottish independence. Yes. The idea of breaking up the UK. Yeah. But as, but as we just talked about, what you could have is, is the outcome of Scotland joining the EU. Mm-hmm which in a sense would recover some of the damage of Brexit. Right. And then we see where England, Wales, and Northern Ireland go, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Russian strategy in some ways is short term, and it's also incomplete because they succeed from their perspective with Brexit. They succeed from their perspective with Trump. They fail on France and Germany because mm. one of the lessons of Brexit, getting a little bit away from the UK, but one of the lessons of Brexit is, is that the French looked at what was happening. French saw yeah. what was happening. Got scared. And, the Russia, and yeah. when the Russians came in blatantly, came in blatantly and tried to prevent Macron from being reelected, yes. uh, the, fr- the French came down in two ways. First of all, they exposed the disinformation that the Russians were putting out. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, they came down hard on the embargo and any type of, as it were, propaganda campaign in the last two weeks before an election. Yeah. And, yeah. and that and that's that's where you do sensible stuff, which. In a moment, we might discuss this. What the French did not do is they didn't play both sides on the issue of the Russian interference. They mm-hmm. didn't say, well, on the one hand, they might have interfered, and on the other, they didn't. In the UK, it was both sides. It was both sides on every issue across Brexit, mm-hmm. where the reality of what was happening, let's get someone who comes on and talks about what the Russians think, and let's get someone who denies there's any type of Russian interference. And then we're being fair and balanced in how we report this referendum. Yeah, I do want to talk to you about that. Okay, because um, moving from, let's say, I'd like to sort of talk about now the connections between the, let's say, the Leave campaigners and all of them and with the Trump campaign. Okay, that's going on in the United States, because there seems to be tons of crossover, tons of connections. um, And this is really important. And I'd also like 
to discuss with you the other aspect of this is how the media treated the Brexit campaign and then also what happened in the States with Trump, okay, and Clinton. Because the media, um, I'm mentioning this because the other day I saw uh, Emily Maitlis's, uh, uh what she said, okay, at the, um, I think it was a, an international um festival or congress for journalists and she spoke there okay about her career and what she you know the whole brexit thing while she was at newsweek at the bbc okay so this is i think it's an important aspect of all of this because it's also important for us to understand this for our own election campaigns that are coming up there's one coming up in sweden on september the 11th italy is 20, the 25th but there are other i think something like 20 other elections that are going to be going on so first of all connections between the brexiters and trump yeah. and then the, the media yeah it, it, let me tell you a story about brexit and trump because it, it doesn't completely play out the way I think you think it might want to go, which okay. is they're all in it from the beginning, and it Ooh. doesn't play out the way that everybody says, which is there's no connections. The Brexit referendum, the timing of it is, of course, June 2016. Now, at that point, going up to June 2016, Donald Trump is trying to become the Republican nominee in the United States. And in fact, I think that, you know, it, it, he clenches the nomination about a couple of weeks before Brexit takes place. At that point, there's an infamous interview with his friend Piers Morgan, where Morgan's mm. trying to, and it's a softball interview, but he's like, what mm -hmm. do you think of Brexit? And Trump clearly doesn't know. He doesn't what, even have what, an idea. What, and, he, and he's trying to make up stuff about, well, you know, whatever the British want, that'd be great. Whatever. And Morgan doesn't then say, by the way, you know, Donald Trump. Can you tell me exactly what Brexit means economically, politically, socially? He lets him off the hook. Right. Steve Bannon, who is a connection we'll talk about at That's that right. point, is not part of the Brexit campaign or not part of the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. Bannon comes in when the Trump campaign runs into in serious August. trouble because yep. of Paul Manafort with That's his right. Russian connections. Mm -hmm. And so Bannon joins the campaign after the Brexit referendum where there are links before June 2016 is not with the Trump campaign directly. It's with certain American outlets like Bannon's Breitbart. Mm -hmm. That's Bannon right. is the chief executive officer of the attack site Breitbart, funded initially by Andrew Breitbart, then by the Mercers, the mm -hmm. billionaires. Right, mm -hmm. And so at that point, Breitbart is coming in hard. It's London Bureau with all the scare stories that you're hearing. Breitbart's very close to Farage. Right. So yeah. there's where you get like the connection yeah. that takes place. Yeah. Right. All right. We then come out of Brexit in June 2016 and people like Johnson and Gove are vying to become the leader of the conservative party to replace Cameron. Bannon comes in with the Trump campaign at that point. Both the Brexit campaign and the Trump folks use Cambridge Analytica for the data mining. That's another link that yeah. takes place. Yeah. Right. Which I yeah. But then the link becomes consolidated because Farage then becomes in October or by October, Farage is going out to right. 
just, you know, out there. And it's like, you know, all these. He's at the crowds. he's at the rallies, right? He's, he's got that, rally. He's got the British accent, right? He's cool. No, that's he's at a rally in Mississippi. That's the first <laughs> one he went to. Now, let me tell you folks about Mississippi. Alabama's 49th. Where I come from, Alabama's 49th in the U.S. in almost every category. Health, <laughs> education, housing, economic Equality. Mississippi's 50th. God created Mississippi. So we in Alabama had someone to look down on. And so this English guy pops up and, you know, no one in that. Mr. Posh. Mr. Posh comes up and and Farage is giving it the whole, you know, bombastic stuff because he's basically a, a wannabe Trump as well. Yeah. And it's like, oh, look, a British guy endorsed Trump and they hug each other. But remember, as much as we may mock Farage, the very first British tower who makes contact with Donald Trump after the election, it is not the Prime Minister Theresa, uh, who but by that point Theresa May. It's not Boris Johnson. It's not Michael Gove. It's Nigel Farage. Mm-hmm. And go look at the photograph of he and Trump, two men of the people, mm-hmm. leading the people, standing mm-hmm. in front of this gold-plated lift in yeah. Trump Tower, yeah. right? Which is just... Yeah. Just in crazy face, hypocrisy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so then there. The, so now Farage is matched up with him in 2000. But uh-huh, story's not finished yet. Mm. Where it does have an effect then on the U.S. side is, is that Nigel Farage is also in contact with Julian Assange. That's right. Nigel Farage is meeting Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, in London. where Assange is pitching up. Mm-hmm. And the open question to this day Mm-hmm. Is whether Farage was connected in any way with the dump of documents that WikiLeaks was dumping mm-hmm. to damage Hillary Clinton in 2016, mm-hmm. or whether he was connected with WikiLeaks tactics, because they not only dump documents about Americans, they also dump documents about other countries as well, yeah. such as yeah. Europe. Yeah. So that's that's the the, the, that's the connection. tactical connection. But there is a postscript mm. in case anybody wants to look it up. Because the Americans under Bannon, who is chief strategist to Trump in the White House, because the Americans, or at least the Trump administration, now want to interfere, they want to make sure that Brexit splits the UK from Europe. Because remember, the vote doesn't confirm the split. You have to get that's right. A it's got to go through, yeah, which doesn't go through for three and a half years. Theresa May is trying to finesse this and to try to get a withdrawal agreement, which is not too damaging, not too damaging to the British economy and does not create a hard border in Ireland, which would be a disaster there. Mm-hmm. Boris Johnson wants to be prime minister. When May is getting closer to an agreement in 2018, mm-hmm. getting it through the Conservative Party, Johnson resigns as foreign secretary. Mm-hmm. He's now going to make it his play to become prime minister. But how does he do it? When Donald Trump made his first state visit, and he was prevented from making a state visit to the UK uh, until mm-hmm. 2018, just because mm-hmm. the piece of work. Yeah. There, Steve Bannon sets up an operational headquarters in London to talk to British politicians, i.e., the hard right. That's right. Steve Bannon appears on Nigel Farage's radio program. On, mm-hmm. LBC, on LBC, the London station. Yep. Steve Bannon talks to representatives of Michael Gove, talks to representatives of Boris Johnson, talks to representatives of Farage, right? On the eve of that visit to the UK, Donald Trump does two things. One is 
It's in an interview with the Sun. Mm-hmm. He says Theresa May is a weak leader. She's getting pushed around by the Europeans. I wouldn't negotiate with the Europeans the way she's doing. And secondly, he oh, says right, Boris, right. Boris Johnson would make a great prime minister. Mm-hmm. He endorsed Johnson <clears throat> in that interview. Yeah. In early 2019, the Daily Telegraph, which is Johnson's paper that he's using as a vehicle to try to, well, it's the Johnson supporting paper that he's trying to use to get to number 10. They carry an edit opinion piece by that well-known intellectual heavyweight, Donald Trump Jr., mm-hmm. that says Boris Johnson would make a great prime minister. Theresa May is weak. I remember those. The I Trump remember people those. plotted to help get Johnson into number into, yeah. So if you want, as it were, the culmination of, yes, there's a direct connection between Trump and the eventual British agreement, which was framed differently under Johnson than under May, mm-hmm. that went through in 2020, which means that a lot of the legacy of that agreement, because Brexit was not done the way that it was intended to be done, we can talk about why, that's because of the hard right, not only That's wanting right. to get the UK out of Europe, they actually want to destroy the EU, take yeah. the EU down. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that whole period, all those you no know, messaging, all that oh, messaging right. that went out. It was incredible to to watch, by the way, okay, because Theresa May was trying to get, as Scott is saying, trying to get a deal together that could work, okay? Yeah. I would not be so uh, destructive of both the economy and you no know, the links, the various connections still with the EU. Yeah. I, uh, by the way, Grant, if you want to cut this part off. By the way, it, it, another person that is part of this who you know fabric of the connections who is not as well known <clears throat> is a man with the fabulous name of Theodore Roosevelt Malik, Ted Malik. Now, Ted Malik uh, probably is, is a little footnote for anybody who can remember him. But in 2017, he was to be the U.S. representative to the EU, right? Oh, that's right. I remember him. Yes. Ted I'm Malik, dis- I'm going Ted back Malik into my despises little- the EU. <laughs> Yeah. Ted Malik despises you. So they yeah. were gonna put, they were gonna basically put the guy in somebody the yeah. who was gonna help destroy it. Yeah. Ted Malik is really well connected with Farage. He's really well connected. Okay. And so this, this it is just further problem. emphasizes yeah. the whole, yeah, underscores. The reason yeah. why Ted Malik didn't become ambassador to the EU is because Ted Malik lied on his CV about his uh, about a connection with, with Oxford University. But that yeah. might be a different story. Uh yeah. Sorry. I got a yeah, no, I, no, no, I know, I know, because all of these, I mean, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that all of these movements, all of these political players, there are so many different characters, okay, because we tend to look at the big, you know, the big picture, but all of these changes were done by real people. Okay, with connections. All right. Those backdoor channels, you know, that that come to light afterwards when something is leaked or no governments begin. Very few who have actually looked at the Mueller report, everything that had come out in there. One thing I did want to underscore with everybody is the role of Russian embassies, okay, which we're not going to get into today, but would be something very interesting to dig very deep. Because as we know, Russian embassies here in Italy, the Russian embassy is a direct link with no Salvini's party. I mean, we know that Razov, right, bought that 
plane ticket that Salvinus was supposed to be going off to Moscow, but we know that they work through their embassies to get a lot of stuff done. Another thing that you mentioned, because you had mentioned Bannon in 2018, let's remember that after he left the White House, he went on this tour, okay, uh, to start this movement, the movement, and it was going to bring together all of the radical right-wing parties of Europe. Uh, He started in London, but he went off everywhere. He was in Rome here. And this is what we're going to get into in our next episode with the Italian elections in 2018. And he also played a part in choosing the prime minister that came out of that election. So these are very important connections. Now let's talk about the media, because this is very important. The idea that the media did not treat or did not approach, okay, trying to um, bring this information to the general public in terms of Brexit, Trump, and we have also here in Italy, we've got a huge media problem anyway. uh, Can you comment on that, Scott? Yeah, again, because, you know, sometimes I push back on the idea, as it were, external manipulation of the media, you know, the Russians messing around with it, anyone else messing around? Well, in Italy, it's true. I can tell you yeah, it's true. In but Italy, yes. This, but, is, but this here, is one we're here. You know, here, you know, this is an English culture thing, or if you want to, British culture thing, which is that the BBC in particular, which, of course, is, for me, is a highly regarded institution because it does try to deliver information. It does try to deliver analysis, does it across a whole range of platforms. Um, you know, coming from a country which which has a, a very, very good public broadcasting service, but it, it you know, it's very, very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of a responsible, as it were, broadcaster who is funded by the government, but independent of the government of the day, yeah, I think that's quite a positive. But what happened was a cultural thing, especially during Brexit, but it's happened on other mm-hmm. issues as well. And that was the both sides trap. That's right. The BBC's idea of being balanced. When you talk about balancing between facts, absolutely right. What the BBC fell in the trap of doing is, is that when issues became emotive, it tried to play balancing on the emotional presentation. And I can say this, you know, appeared on the BBC uh, before and after 2016, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you would get onto the BBC and I would present, because at heart, at the heart of this, there's a lot of reasons why I'm a Remainer, but at the heart of it was this idea, which is, is that as an analyst, I believe this was going to be economically damaging. And I could go on to these interviews and I could give you the forecast mm. from almost every economist. There's only one economist I know of who has any profile, a guy named Patrick Mitford, who's back an old Thatcherite economist who's not really that well regarded. He's the only one that said you were going to get economic benefits with a very spurious model. Yeah. Everyone else, the Loss of GDP, mm-hmm. a relative loss of GDP, in a best case scenario of about 4%. In a worst case scenario, with a complete break under WTO rules, it gets up to about 8 to 10% loss of GDP. 
you know, by the time you get to 2030. Now, I could lay that out for listeners. Mm-hmm. But what would happen time and again is, is you would get someone on the other side of the argument who comes up and just simply says, but we'll be independent of Europe. But we'll be independent of Europe. And they would say, yeah. this is just and these. We facts, decide. These facts, we decide. These facts, <laughs> these facts are project fear. Yeah. Project fear. Right. Yeah. To yeah. which I would respond because I know how to play this game. Well, actually, you know, this is project reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, the BBC would not limit that type of presentation to say, look, no, we're going to, but if we, if we put two sides of this, we're going to make sure it's a factual and analytic discussion. Same thing happened with immigration. I could, you know, you can trot out the facts on immigration that immigration from within the EU, and remember, that was the key part here, has actually been economically beneficial to the UK. Yeah. It's still in study after study after study. And then yeah. they put someone on the other side who says, we're going to be overrun by immigrants from X, Y, Z, and so on, which actually didn't address that point and actually diverted from it. Mm-hmm. Let us fast forward this because the BBC continue to do it today. Yeah. We are in a position, for example, where uh, what Johnson did by refusing to adhere to the Brexit agreement, by trying to, in effect, undermine part of it is, mm-hmm. is, put, is put the Good Friday Agreement in jeopardy. Quite clearly put the agreement that there's no hard border in Ireland is in jeopardy about that. In addition to that, the trade between Northern Ireland and Ireland has gone up significantly, I think around about 60% mm-hmm. since Brexit mm-hmm. came into effect, whereas the trade between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom, Great Britain, has declined. Right. Could lay out all those facts, and then the BBC will bring it on someone on the other side and says, oh, absolutely not. The Johnson government is observing the Good Friday Agreement. We believe in the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the Europeans who are threatening mm-hmm. the security of Ireland. Yeah, they just, they flip it every single time. Yeah. They, they flip it. And, yeah. and again, you know, I'm, I'm used to that on U.S. media. I know this because U.S. media, you know, has it best now has the pretense of being balanced. If it's Fox, there's no way it's balanced. That's right. But for the BB, for the BBC to do this, and as much as the Leave campaign trashed the BBC and says they're left wingers, as much as other people call them the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, ironic <laughs> given that we talk about Russia. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is 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 that the BBC is still an institution which even its critics. Mm-hmm. put a lot of value in. Oh, no. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah. I I listen to it every day. So, you know, I'm talking about the critics from relief. I'm talking about the guys who would trash it, ah. like Dominic Cummings and right. Boris Johnson. They put a lot of value in the BBC. They yeah. know it's a national right. But, but here's a sting in the tail, which takes us all about how we've talked about the, you know, the manipulations, the organization, the links to, quote, get Brexit done, mm-hmm. for this phrase. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about the media manipulation. Here's where you're going to get, and I'm not sure where it plays out, the, the irony. Mm. And the irony of this is going to be that the architects of this Brexit can only wind up in a position where they cause great damage to themselves mm-hmm. as well as to the country. In December 2019, we had a general election mm-hmm. in the UK. And Boris Johnson, who had overthrown Theresa May with the help of the Americans, 
was now running on Cummings' three-word platform, mm-hmm. get Brexit done. He also was lying. He was lying throughout that campaign. He lied that we were going to get 40 new hospitals if he was elected. Mm-hmm. He lied. You know, all those new doctors and nurses. nurses. And it was just going to be a revolution. Absolutely. Yes. Lie. And his biggest lie, however, in terms of Brexit was he stood in Northern Ireland in front of an audience. I think there mm-hmm. may have been local business people who've been brought in for it. You know, clap and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is no customs line down the yeah. Irish Sea. That's right. That is a flat out lie. The whole point of the Brexit agreement was that in order to protect Ireland and not have a hard border, you had to have the customs line down the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, because if you didn't have a customs line, you're still part of the European single market, folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I. BBC didn't call him out on the lie. No. Not that because the BBC will not tell anybody that the prime minister is lying. They don't use the word lie. Lie, exactly. Which is a very bizarre, but it happens here as well. They they they'll finesse it with all sorts of different, you know, language. Oh, he may be stretching the truth, or he doesn't know. Okay, he doesn't have all the information. I don't I don't know. They 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 come up with different tactics. Yes. So the upshot of this, however, is is that to stay in power. To win that election, what Johnson had done is taken an already damaging Brexit agreement and then damaged it. Because what you have done is create this uncertainty over what the agreement means. I mean, first of all, it's breaking international law. Yeah. The the UK to try to say, oh, we don't recognize the customs line, that that's a violation of a treaty, point blank. And in fact, UK ministers have admitted that. What it has done is it has completely ruled out any type of UK US trade deal, which is not going to happen. And remember that the whole run up to Brexit, the whole run up to Johnson's re election and the Brexit agreement was we're going to have a UK US trade deal within months. Yeah. By the way, a both sides thing, which is I would go on to radio and say, takes on average four to six years to negotiate a a medium-sized trade treaty. That's Think right. about what a U.S.-U.K. trade treaty, and they said, "Oh, but so and so says." Yeah, yeah. So you get no U.K.-U.S. trade treaty. You get instability, not just about what the Irish future is. You get instability about what your trading arrangements are. And when you have instability in trading arrangements, exporters, importers, producers, farmers, manufacturers do not know the rules that they're playing by, no. and so all of those sectors are hampered. Yeah. And that is where we are in 2022. So Johnson, to save his backside, gets himself into trouble that, of course, he falls because of other issues. Mm -hmm. The next prime minister, Liz Truss, and it will be Liz Truss, is a former foreign secretary or is the current foreign foreign secretary who has repeated the misinformation and disinformation about the Northern Ireland protocol because she wants to look tough against the EU. Yeah. The yeah. EU must back down, et cetera. So trust is just going to compound this. How far we go, I don't know. But what I can tell you is the upshot of it is, is that where the damage is eventually done is that if you take this back to where you and I started, where we talked about project reality in 2016, UK GDP, the UK is now going to be in recession by two quarters of negative growth. The UK 
is projected to be in negative growth until well into 2023, possibly 2024. Mm-hmm. Now, those people who support leave will say, well, the pandemic caused the shocks of this and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, supply mm-hmm. change. Energy, you, gas bills. Gas bills. Yeah, well, here's a newsflash for you if you say that. Compare this with every other member of the G7 and indeed almost every member of the G20. And the UK ranks at the bottom in terms of growth. Other countries have not suffered as much from the pandemic, have not suffered as much right. from the trade war. Why is that? Because they didn't isolate themselves from their trading partners. That's right. Inflation in the UK is at its highest point in 40 years. Wow. And, every, yeah. and, right? and yeah. everybody says, well, you know, that other countries are suffering inflation as well. And every, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, well, here's a newsflash for you. Our energy prices are tripling, have yeah. tripled within a year, yeah. like 200% within a year. Yeah. Energy prices aren't going up that high elsewhere. So break that down for me, especially when the UK is not a major customer for Russian gas and oil. Not yeah, the Europe is. Exactly. So real wages are declining for the first time in mm-hmm. recent history by a significant amount. All of that was predicted in 2016. Yeah. I just I just wrote a, a column on that. So it's, <laughs> it's fresh in my mind. So we got we have to make sure that we get everybody to go out and, and read that. One word that just keeps coming up and up and up, 2016, Brexit, Trump, and then everything that you're describing, uh, let's say, you know, Theresa May going uh, into Joris, um, Joris Bonson, <laughs> into Boris Johnson, okay, <laughs> and his fall, okay, from grace, let's call it that way. Um, there's one word that comes to mind, and it's just the uh, the lies, and it's constant, constant, constant. There was lying as to what you no know, Brexit was really about, and what you no, know, um, what kind of repercussions there would be. Uh, Emily Maitlis talks about having to find people to come on the show, and they could find fifty people. To say that this was going to be negative, everything that you're talking about now, um, let's say, and they could find them within five minutes and get all sorts of people on. And it would take hours to find even one person that would come on for the leave side. Um, and Boris Johnson's fall from grace, as we know, were were a series of lies Okay, that he took. But it was just just not one. There were quite a few. He was excellent and great. To be that spokesperson and that figure that Ukraine needed in a really important moment, but for domestic policy, he lies and lies and lies, and he lied. Uh, Liz Truss, as you're saying, is is following probably. Okay, just just to to you know, it's just so that people understand this is a real issue. Um, one of the reasons, you know, I, I came to this country. I've lived in this country. For decades, and and I still have it. You know, I have a deep attachment to this country. But but one of the things that has really occurred, it's been especially notable, probably in the past fifteen years, is has been the degrading of public discussion, of public dialogue, because yeah. people are are willing to come out and to break the rules, to break the boundaries of you know of what you know responsible discussion is now. It's not a completely new thing. 
I think it was Margaret Thatcher's former cabinet secretary who has this wonderfully English phrase, being economical with the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, the, there was accountability in some senses for yeah. lying. Even Thatcher got in trouble, for example, for lies, for example, over uh, uh, the uh, the sale of mm-hmm. weapons to, to Iraq. What you had is that the standards, which was, for example, that a prime minister would never lie. In fact, no MP should ever lie in the House of Commons. And in fact, you should never accuse someone of lying in the House of Commons. Somebody got booted out. When was it? About a month ago. They're suspectful. Is that as we have seen again in the U.S., in other countries, including Italy, that the rules of the game, people will just flout them and set them aside. And Johnson's one of the most is just an egregious example. I mean, we know that Johnson lies about his personal relationships. We know that he's lied about his affairs. We know that he has lied about the number of children that he has. I was just going to bring that up. Who knows? <laughs> we know that he has lied about his financial affairs and certain types of payments that have taken place. And again, got Grant, we're legally tight on this. I know we know that he's like, we know that uh, he has lied about Brexit. We know that he has lied about coronavirus and the parties that were held there. We know that cabinet representatives that were there with him were at least misleading and arguably lied, like Matt Hancock, the health mm-hmm. secretary over mm-hmm. coronavirus provisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Just so you're, on at the, and on. you're at the point where if you do not have the rules of the game, yeah, you know, I'm a big you know, there's a guy named Emmanuel Kant back in the 18th century. Pretty good philosopher on this, right? If you lie about the rules of the game, you do not have any type of reliable discourse because nobody knows the basis on which they are operating. And that is where we are in this country. Yeah. And and not only. You know, yeah. And, you know, the media institutions, in a sense, are are damaged, but at least there's some protection, which is still there with all the criticism we've talked about regarding the BBC. You really have to go to the local level to find where that hope would come from, that mm-hmm. local activists, that local people know that the issues are too important right. to keep lying about it. That when we're having to deal with food banks, when we're having to deal with a cost of living crisis when we're having to deal with, uh, and this just came out this uh, came out this week that up to a quarter of people in the United Kingdom are not going to turn their heating on this winter. I know that that struck me. Um, I mean, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they had a talk in you know, a call-in show, and they talked just about this and how people. I think you told me as well that they're going to try to put all the furniture, whatever they need, into one room so that they're only heating one room. That's what we're talking about, folks. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of things that, again, I have the attachment here, even though you know, I, I think by this time next year, I'll be in a different country. But And there's a lot that's still good about the people who are here. But, yeah, this is an example of which Brexit is a major part. How a political culture breaks down. And it breaks down because the function of a political culture should be to, through discussion, through debate, you know, sometimes people don't agree. It should be to provide for the security of all people who are in the community. Mm -hmm. What happened with the UK political culture is that that basic responsibility to provide for the good of all those who live in the UK was set aside for the damaging rhetoric of emotions referring back to an England of the past 
not a UK of the present and of the future, to turn everything that should be good about the UK of the present, which is an ability to progress and grow through contributions from people who come from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different parts of the world, to turn that into a negative. And as much as I have benefited from living in a multicultural community, because I did mm -hmm. not grow up in one in the U.S. South, right. as much as I benefited from that here in the United Kingdom, there are people who, for their own personal benefit, are willing to tear all of this down, yeah. no matter what the cost is. And that yeah. I find to be regrettable. Yeah. yeah, you're being really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's Thank your that's the um uh Scott is fantastic at being I'm a little more no direct, but Scott is is a great okay wordsmith uh when it comes to these kind of things. Um the past, you brought up something about okay, how these movements really do um take advantage of a lot of emotional baggage that is in the past. Um, and that also this image of what used to be, uh, because they really don't have, at least I can talk from an Italian perspective, they haven't got the vision of what they want for the future. This is one aspect of it. Mm. Uh, we will be getting into uh, the Italian elections, hopefully in the next, uh, in our next episode, because what we're seeing, uh, what I'm afraid of, We've seen what happened in the UK in terms of Brexit and the separation okay, from, uh, from Europe. I'm afraid that there will be something not to that degree because I don't even think Italy leaving the, the, the EU is actually uh, legally possible in terms of um, our economic ties with the EU. Uh, and trying to get that all, no, the, uh, let's say, all breaking these ties, we wouldn't have the money to be able to do that at all. Yeah. Okay. We'd yeah. be breaking a whole bunch of international um, accords and agreements that we've signed. So it would be extremely difficult. But what can happen is forming within the EU a group, okay, uh, headed by Hungary, which is already there because Italians, uh, two political groups, which I'm not going to get into now, have signed accords, okay, with Putin's United Party and also with Orban. So they could form a cell. My prediction is they keep there for the way the Italians have done always. They keep one foot in one place, one foot in the other. They never, let's remember, Dante has a ring in hell, okay, for the undecided. And in Italy, it's more taking advantage. Oh, what can I get from here? What can I get from there? Okay, and playing the two sides off each other, which is what the British, right? When you were, you were saying right in the beginning of our talk. Well, I, I, I think that's really well put regarding what's happening within Italy. And more generally, I think amongst the 27 nations of the EU, no one's going to leave the EU because of the economic benefits that the EU actually brings overall. Uh, to to their particular nations. The risk is, is that as we have already seen with Viktor Orban's Hungary, mm -hmm. you get the corrosive effect from within. But there at least is the big difference. But there's the big difference beyond that, which you have highlighted, which is, is that the UK was the one country which jumped 
that it was willing to jump uh, where others would never do that. Yeah. Yeah. Economic consequences. Let me ask one last question, because this has been on my mind. Um, The UK within the EU, did it have a powerful position? Did it have a power? Was it listened to? Was it uh, regarded? Let's say, was it helping also informing policy? What kind of position did it have within the EU? Oh, Lord, yes, the UK had a powerful position because, as, as you know quite well, the larger countries in the e, in the EU, by the nature of the rules, uh, and by the nature that the, that the EU has to have unanimous agreement on many issues, the larger countries have a veto on mm-hmm. what can take place. That's right. Uh, and so, for example, you look at the history for years in terms of the negotiations that took place over the common agricultural policy. That one of the achievements of Margaret Thatcher, again, who I despise on many fronts, Thatcher knew the ability to stay within the EU and then getting the UK's way on exactly revisions of the common agricultural policy, and and so and and the UK continued to play that in the 21st century. You know, the Labour government under Blair and yeah, do it. Yeah. What happened is is that Cameron, who was finding it difficult to to get the leverage yeah. on a particular issue, which was welfare payments then made that catastrophic decision, which is we'll completely jump out of the boat. And if we drown in the process, so be it. I mean, let me just give you this wrap up. What we have seen for years is that uh, both in the decision to hold the referendum, then the decision to leave, then the completion of the withdrawal agreement, then ripping apart the withdrawal agreement is the equivalent holding a gun to his or her head and say, don't move or I'll shoot. Well, guess what? There we go. The UK shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The shot that rang, what is that with the with the Americans? The shot that rang across. The shot that rang around that? the world. There we go. And unfortunately, it wasn't a good one, right? Okay. It wasn't uh, as positive as the other one. All right, then. Okay, everybody. So we're going to cut it here. And uh, Scott, we're going to be back for another episode. We're going to talk about the Italian elections, uh, pick up maybe some of the things that we've talked about here and develop them further okay in the next episode so yeah so it was great talking to you again i'll i'll see you i'll I'll, I'll call you anyway (laughs) stay safe stay sane bye-bye everybody (laughs) bye-bye